The Missing Witches Project is entirely listener supported and listener, we want you to join us. Do you want to be part of a community that helps make public research into marginalized ideas? Do you want to join in interviews with all these magical people and meet other anti-racist, trans-inclusive, neuroqueer, feminist practitioners of different kinds from all over the world in our monthly circles? Or are you maybe just down to send a little money magic towards these stories and ideas and the causes we support? Anyway, either way, check out missingwitches.com to learn more about us. And please know, we've been missing you. And one last thing before we start. The stories we tell require a general content warning. It's just a fact of this terrain of interrogating what is missing. We promise to hold those moments with care. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Welcome listeners, welcome friends, welcome grumpy puppies and construction workers out on the street. Welcome to all our strange minds and strange neighbors and strange feelings in these strange fucking days. Welcome home to the Missing Witches podcast. I have co-hosting with me today, Zoe Flowers from the Magic Hours podcast, beloved friend of our podcast. Thank you so much, Zoe, for saying yes. I needed your help to really dig into the phenomenal poetry and insights and visionary work of activist, curator, and poet. Ariel Marie Lucier, who's here today. But wait, before I start that properly, Lucier, I Frenchified it. Was that right? It is. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes in the South, they bend that French in a different way that I'm not expecting. Yeah, it's typically bent, but (laughs) (laughs) I never fight over the pronunciation because, you know, all of the tongues are colonizer tongues. So it's all right. Thank you for being here today. I wonder, sometimes we invite people when we start to introduce themselves and we sort of mean it both as like, give us your professional spiel. And also like, if you feel comfortable to unmask, tell us a little bit about how you actually are and who you actually are today. Oh, well, thank you for that invitation and, and, and the undressed version. That's really loving and I appreciate it. I'm Ariel Marie. I am a, a cultural strategist and an essayist and a poet. And at one point I would have called myself an organizer, but I'd like to respect that organizer as an active term. And I've been at home. <laughs> I have not been in these streets. So at some point in my life, I take on and put off the work of organizer as, as I have capacity. And I... You know, I think I'm just a storyteller who uses words to do alchemy work and uses storytelling as a way to destroy old worlds and build new ones. And a little bit of, there's a hat that I put on and take on and put on and take off that, you know, works with documentary and film. And then there's a hat around, I'm like working on the, I'm like slyly working on a jazz poetry album right now. And also I've been getting into pottery. <laughs> lately in a physical medium, but that's neither here nor there. I, I'm doing, I'm doing, I am doing, I'm doing, and I am being, and I am uh, trying really hard to remain as 
tangibly rooted in the body as possible right now. I, you know, 2022 has been a whirlwind of a year. I went on tour with my first book. It was my first book tour and bought a home with my partner and we're getting married. And so I'm doing a lot of adulting this year. So there's a lot of like shifts in privilege, a lot of shifts in like the material reality of life, shifts in career. And, you know, as the year comes, you know, the fall season is like a reflective season for me. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm being in it. And that's, you know, depending on the hour, it's, it's you know, it's beautiful and hard and, you know, all the things, but I'm enjoying it. Can you talk a little bit about how writing those poems so I'm, I'm talking about gumbo yaya i'm talking about your your, <laughs> your first book you know i got to spend a lot of time with it this week can you share for us a little bit about how writing those poems worked for you those poems are very much a story about an incredibly painful brutal reality in the world and trying to encant for conjure for write psalms for something better. Yeah. I think I think what was the momentum behind Global Yaya, what felt most urgent, was first, I, it felt incredibly declarative, the poems at first. I felt a need to process in real time my experiences as an organizer, my experiences as Black queer person who was coming out in the South in a family of Southerners. It felt like there was a lot of declarative processing that the poems held for me. And I am still someone trying to think through my sort of like theoretical analysis of the I and the speaker and poems. And I, I the project was a me project, was an Ariel Marie in real time, as we go, project. And um, I, I had a book deal with a publisher in 2017. I won a book prize. And these little raw, wild, kind of like <laughs> rascally poems were, you know, just kind of as is with this publisher. And, at, and through the editing process, I realized that there were more voices and more more momentums, more mobility in the poems, more inertia. And I wanted space for that. And I think that that publisher wanted to condense really cacophonous ideas into singular voices. And all wanted to simplify complex ideas, intersectional ideas, because the, the publisher and the people that were editing the book themselves had no space to consider the intersections. Once I recognized it as a function of anti-Blackness, as massage noir, I realized I had to, as a then organizer, as a person who did and does truly believe that you are writing into the worlds that you want to build and that poems are scaffolding for those worlds, I had to kind of make a decision. And I, people that are in the restorative justice spaces know you set boundaries and you can ask folks to meet you there or you can, you know, change the relationship. And so I went to the publisher. I said, hey, this is working. This is what I need. 
this is what this book means. And the publisher wasn't able to meet those, meet me at those boundaries. And so we parted ways. And I think then, and again, rambling, but this is the, this is the nature of intersectional origin stories. But I think then, I, I mean, I, I, I was, I was terrified. I was sad. I was angry at the sort of like reality of what was happening at, at this like career mark. But I was also excited and thrilled about the possibility to do something different with the book. And in that, was able to explore fugitivity, was able to explore, you know, if, if there can be abolition inside of a poem, what does it look like? Was able to just be a maximalist on the page, I think. And from that point, I was like, well, if I don't have a publisher, there's no one telling me what I can't do, right? If there's no one saying that I've got a font criteria, I've got a margin criteria, and I've got, you know, a, a line limit, I've got a, a, a hell a page limit. What what can we do what, if we just explore and play? And there, the book just started to root and it started to, I, I felt like I was, there's some poems that I feel like I didn't even write because there was just such a, a conjuring practice. There are poems in Gumbo Yaya that scare me that maybe didn't go through an editing process because they felt necessary, but they felt too big for me to touch. And I just let it be and didn't police it. And I think that, I think the book, I love, I love, I'm at a point now, right? Cause you go through a journey with your books, but I'm at a point now where I just love Gumbo Yaya because it is a first book unpoliced. It is like, me doing what the fuck I wanted and 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 having a rigor there, having a theoretical understanding, having a a craft understanding of of what is happening, but it's just so young that it just kind of became just a glimpse of a thing that I think I'll be chewing through for you know, as long as I'm writing. I wanna highlight poetry as a scaffolding that builds the world. Yeah, yeah. Slack yes to that. And yeah. how appropriate and powerful a term to rest on that it was unpoliced when mm. so much of the story of the book is about policing yeah, yeah. i wanted to hop in so this is uh zoe thank you missing witches for letting me participate in this conversation so this piece about policing and and editing and for me i'm wondering about organizing and the poetry and so some of the editing that we find ourselves doing in social justice, social change movement. I wonder if you could talk about any ways that you've come up against that and how you've addressed it, sort of the similarities in those worlds, if you see similarity in those worlds. Oh, I do. Oh, I absolutely do. I think I was talking with Denise Smith and Franny Choi on the Versus podcast a while ago because I am someone who just loves the sort of like meticulous beauty in form, but I didn't even, I didn't have, it took me so long to reach a neutral at least, and now maybe positive relationship with form because it is taught, it's taught as the a, a, a poetic policing. It's taught as a way to 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 tame, you know, as if as if the poem is a beast, right? These these wild emotions, these these like new young thoughts, these burgeoning sort of understandings of the world, these reorientations are wild. 
and we must restrain them with form. And that is the way that, you know, you know, schooling and even, you know, outside of universities and colleges and, and that, that side of academia, as young as middle school and high school, the, the, the way that form is taught is as this sort of like sanitized, clean thing. And so it took me a long time. I think I grew with Gumpo Yaya because I think, I mean, I first started writing this book in 2015, maybe 2014. So I think that I grew with Gumbo Yaya and sort of my analysis, my approach to organization has shifted over time with it. I think a lot of my my relationship to poems and, and the editing process has changed because I see I see the editing and the, I see the editing and organizing as a like a kiln, maybe, um, instead of a cage. Let's go with that. Maybe that's that's a new thought. But like, I, I, instead of like locking up, locking an idea up or tying something down or cleaning it up, I think the kiln, like the kiln idea, is like you put you put this beautiful thing in the kiln, you fire the baby up. I'm really enjoying my pottery phase, apparently. <laughs> you you fire it up. See, if, if the poem isn't strong enough, if there's a weak spot, if there's a crack that, you know, the, the finished product would suffer along the line, then the kiln just kind of reveals it to you. And then you mm. get to decide what to do. You get to decide how you build around, if, if the weak spot is actually a, 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 a larger praxis of the idea itself, right? Which I think sometimes I leave weak spots what 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 Western or Eurocentric poetics might say is a weak spot in a poem, so uh, not as strong enjambment or maybe inconsistent capitalization, which I love, or or something like that. You use it to divert attention or to you know make something uncomfortable or incongruent for the reader. And as long as you as long as you know what's happening on the page, then. You, I mean, you can come up, you say, well, you do whatever you want about what's happening on the page. It doesn't mean that the poem itself needs to be more sanitized or more, more perfect. And so form for me has become a part of the editing process. I'll throw an idea that feels just not complete yet into form, into a sestina, into a sonnet, just to see if there's something else, another side of it that I'm not, that I haven't met yet. As far as organizing the, a, a body of work goes, oh, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I think I treat organizing books. I'm not to the point of organizing the second collection yet, but with with the first collection, I'll still go back to the the master document and move things around because <laughs> it bothers me to look in the book and see, oh, that would have been yes. so clever or sly. <laughs> two poems were together. Why did I think about that? Or I see poems that like, I kept going for another three stands. I'm like, well, you really could have just clipped it there. And that that's a whole new poem. I just, I'm not, I'm not ever satisfied. I don't know if it's a Sagittarius in me or if it's the fact that I see poems as little worlds and I'm just like, well, the world, you know, you leave the poem and like, I think, I like to think that like you leave a poem and then it's doing stuff while you're gone and then you come back to it. And that's why you see something new. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I I feel like I'll always be a little bit disgruntled with like the, the organization of a body of work because I think there's no right answer for me. And that's exciting, but also frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep like working on something, working on it, okay. working on it. And it's like, girl, leave it alone. Leave it alone. My editors hated me because I mean, I think they were like their their finger was hovering over the print button. And I was like, I literally I changed the entire order of the book. I took two poems out that, you know, I still think I still don't know if that was the right decision or not. But I was just it never feels done ever. Amanda Yates Garcia told us her mentor had told her you fix the problems with the first book and the second book. And that was a yeah. big re- relief to us. It's like, yeah, this all of these pieces go forward. Every piece goes forward. One thing I loved watching videos of you perform your work, Ariel, is that they're different. They're totally different oh, yeah. performed. There's call and response. There's, there's singing. There, yeah. And some of the lines are just different or they stop and start in different places. Um, oh, yeah. Do you, do you think about future performance worlds of your pieces? Are there pieces of yours? So this poem is a hex, Tread Light. One of my mm. favorite, but that one is like, that seems like a piece that's meant to live a very rich life outside the yeah. context of the book. Like that's a piece that's going to go into women's lives and queer people's lives and people's lives yeah. and give strength and also go into rapist lives and give them fucking nightmares. And I love that poem. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm going to answer that in just a second. I think my dog snuck outside. Okay. I just got to watch him. He's... He's doing a lot. Can you repeat the question for me? I think I asked like a, a really sloppy question. No, I love it. With a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of feelings in it. But I guess I'm thinking about like the future of your poetry and especially when thinking about it being performed both by you yeah. or, or by other people in the case of the hex. Yeah. So my start in poetry was in slam. I started slamming at 14, 15. And even before that was in a performance group here in Atlanta that does theatrical performances across the country. And then I went to performing arts high school. So I am a lesbian. <laughs> I am a performer. And the vehicle that made it to the finish line was poetry. But I'm always thinking about performance. I recognize now that there's a part of it that is my little theorist brain that I, I'm trying to embrace. I'm just thinking about the way that a thing acts in the world and how it, what other conjuring is possible when you lift words from a page and, and put them in a room. So I, I'm, I think I'm always writing, thinking about the eventual sound, the eventual mm. sound of the work. A lot of poems that I write change when I perform them. And that's just because I, I kind of believe in that and that like may, maybe Southern Baptist sort of thing of like, you know, the you let the spirit move you. And, you know, maybe it's someone in that room who, you know, their energy confronts the energy of the poem or, or my energy and it makes a new thing possible. And I, and I love that. I love that exchange and it feels very necessary to me. So I don't feel like like I don't police my poems and they sure don't police me. You know, like we have a we have a consensual relationship where we share agency and choice about what what happens on the page and in the world. And you know, sometimes I like to flex that and be like, see, I can change it at any point. You're not the boss of me, little poem. And the and the other part I think is that I can't make 
I can't make anyone decide to be a witch or a conjurer. My folks are Creole and we water folk. We swamp people. I descend from folks who were enslaved in Louisiana and conjuring and conjurers are in my lineage. I can't make anybody dig into their lineage and find the conjurers and connect with them. I can't make anyone set an altar. I can't make anyone hex their rapist, but I can offer a little roadmap the way it was offered to me and the way I needed it. When I needed it, it found me conjuring. And I think with with something like the the hex for rapists, I got so much joy from finding conjuring or being reconnected with the legacy of conjuring in my family. I got so much joy and it felt so good to be performing ritual work in a way that returned what is stolen systemically and historically from Black women, from Black sins, from Black queer people. It gave me so much like peace and empowerment to reclaim that. And I wanted to pass it along. And you know, the statistics about sexual assault are abysmal. And if everybody who's ever been sexually assaulted or raped had a little hex in their back pocket, it'd be a lot of motherfuckers walking around without toes, you know, losing they losing their livelihoods and actually holding on to the consequences and repercussions of taking someone else's agency. I don't think the state will do it. I don't think police will do it. I know the hex will. So I wanted people to be able to feel welcomed in to a practice that is not require anything of them other than to take a little bit of dog shit in a glass and go to a cemetery and <laughs> stomp on their rapist name. And I don't know what it will look like when I perform that poem. I haven't done it yet. That's one of the poems that scares me in the book because it is truly, like that's, it's, it's not a play play hex. You know, that's really... I don't, I'm not being coy or cute or it's not to sell books when I say tear this page out. I mean, really, like, I, I named my rapist in that, in that poem. And that's a name I don't say out loud. So, because I know, I know what it means to say someone's name out loud when you've already put them in your shoe. So, I am inviting people to be in performance with me and to kind of, to recognize what, what performance is that you, you're putting on something and note what happens when when we do that when we are intentional about the what what we're practicing and how we practice it okay i'm gonna leave it there that was probably 20 minutes <laughs> so don't put it down just yet because i know that over the summer even in our coven conversations with some of the things that were happening that continue to happen we were having conversations around feeling powerless, feeling angry, feeling rage. And there's been so much work put into silencing the anger and the rage of women-identified people, femme people, et cetera, right? And so I'm wondering about sort of when that thought emerged about the hex, because it can it's a very like volatile like thing, yeah. right? And so I just wonder when that sprinkling of an idea came to you, how did you like meet that inspiration? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm from Atlanta, born and raised, mm -hmm. and this is all Atlanta is also my political home. I spent a good number of years though in the Bay Area. And I organized full time while I was there. 
And one thing that I had never come across before, ever, in all my days, was there would be, I was privileged to have connections to a lot of Black and Indigenous solidarity spaces. And there would be medicine folk from Indigenous communities in the area and Black communities in the area, folks who did, whose work was spiritual and embodied practice, who would come to protest. And their job was to just bind the, the power, you know, thefted power of the police to bind their communications, you know, with hopes of protecting people who were on the front lines from arrest and from harm. And not that there was never an arrest and a protest, and not that there was never anyone who got hurt, but the the energy that people felt at those protests, the energy that rippled through, you know, hundreds of people when they realized that they were covered was gorgeous. I mean, I, I saw I saw this one girl watch one of her friends about to take a rest and she runs up and she slips her hands into the zip ties and pulls her friend's hands out of the zip ties. And they both just run back. I just, and I'm just, it's it's the sort of thing that, and I, and I can't even count how many protests I had ever been to. Oh, it makes me choke. I'm just thinking about it. I can't even, I can't count how many protests I'd ever been to. But once I saw that, I never went to another protest without doing practice beforehand and doing practice with witnesses. Even, you know, my little liberal white girls who didn't know what the hell was going on, who thought, who were like, what is this wild animalistic shit y'all are doing? Uh-huh, sit right there, move to the front of the line because we know that y'all get, you know, brutalized last. <laughs> Just to be in space while folks did that, it changed what was possible. I watched it. I watched it. And so I, of course, I'm in this book talking about, I mean, I don't have a lot of memories or my body has chosen not to hold on to the memories of my experiences with sexual assault or rape. I don't remember. I have, and I don't need to, obviously, for my, you know, my folks or my body, they, they said, you know, you don't, you don't need this. So the healing process has been difficult for me because you know, your body remembers smell, your body remembers, there's, there's so much stuff that, the, that the, the body keeps score of. And so as I'm trying to write about this process, write toward my anger, the poems just weren't, they felt hollow. And, and that felt like a different kind of dangerous to like be, like to almost be flippant or to be, to gesture towards something as significant as rape or sexual assault and not be What's the word am I looking for? It felt dangerous to, to gesture towards rape and sexual assault in a poem and not be ruthless. And I didn't feel like I had enough memory to be ruthless about my specific experience. And so I thought what was more useful was, okay, it happened. And it has happened to so many of us. What do we do with all this mess afterward? What do we do... Now, what do I need now? And I needed that covering. 
I needed to, I needed to feel like I could be as audacious as I wanted. I could wear what I, whatever I wanted in the streets. I could hang around whoever I wanted and be covered. And so I think that's where the hex came from because I needed it and had received it. I had received covering and and I wanted to pass that on. Ooh, love that. All right. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I think Zoe and I were probably both on the edge of our seats waiting for what that word was going to be. That you didn't want, didn't want the poem to not be ruthless. Ruthless. Because yeah. I think, I mean, there's, 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 there's tender poems about sexual assault. There's soft, fragile poems about sexual assault. And I've written them and I need them when I've written them and I need them when I've read them from other people. I think there's a point where I'd started to feel very protective of Black girls with an ex while I was writing Gumbo. Yeah, yeah. I felt very protective of women and femme folks who are Black. And so I had earlier versions of a poem kind of addressing this thing. There's a, a poem that didn't make it into the book, but is published by the Los Angeles Review, maybe, called The Blues Reproductive. And it's very melancholy about abortion and choice and all of that stemming from my experience. But I just, I was enraged. I wanted something with fangs. <laughs> and I couldn't do that without writing the hex. And I just... We needed a hex. One of the things I love in the book is the combination, and I guess this is really true to to conjure work, but the combination of psalms and mm. religious language that's like rooted in the Bible and still telling a white god that he's a fraud and can fuck off. Mm. And then and then these, you know, praise poems to use a a term that I think about in connection with Zoe Flowers' work, but praise poems for Black girls with an X. This joyful, luscious, like sexy, beautiful imagining of the world. I love it. I love it so much. I want to go back to this quote. This is what I wrote to you about initially when I was hoping you would come and talk to us. Robin Maynard is a wonderful writer and educator here in Canada. She wrote Policing Black Lives. And then with Leanne Batamwasamwasaki Simpson wrote Rehearsals for Living. So this quote I've been thinking about so much, I've been thinking about in connection with Octavia Butler and with your work. She wrote, abolition is imagination work. Anti-colonial struggle is imagination work, conjure work, science fiction in real time. Yep. Can you talk about being part of a visionary poetics? Making this scaffolding for the new world? Oh, it's just such a gorgeous quote. And Robin is brilliant. And yeah, I think it's an honor to be to be just sitting at the feet of so many people who are doing audacious protests, who protest this old world and are a part of building the new one. For me... I think I was always going to end up with utilizing poetics no matter what, because poems offer me permission to envision a thing that doesn't exist. Poems give me a place to be as gluttonous or ridiculous or petty or, you know, precious or salacious 
put poems are poem. I think it is Octavia who was talking in this interview I was watching and she said something along the lines, oh, I hate misquoting her. She says something along the lines of academics will teach you that poems are a form. They are a material thing to be examined and to be read and to be interacted with that way. But poems for me are a way of life, a way of living and viewing the world. And Audre Lorde says something similar and Zora has said something similar. And these are all people who are thinking about poetics as an embodied thing, poetics as a way to be what I think Joy Priest, who is an amazing writer, would call fugitive poetics, like fugitive embodying. I think there's something about Blackness that is, you know, Black people are inherently fugitive, inherently on the run, inherently outside of what is normal or accepted just because of the way the world has built itself in antithesis of Blackness. And well, I won't say the world has built itself. That's really lazy language. The way that white people have built the world in antithesis of Blackness. And so I think a part of a part of wayfinding the new world is to embrace being on the run. And these poems is being fugitive, being abolitionist, being in protest. On the line, I'm trying to figure out how to do that in the way that has the same impact with the reader as my work in the streets would. My hope as someone who is always going to be oriented towards justice work and oriented towards organizing work, my hope is that as I'm writing, I'm also remaining rooted in the communities that are building the the modalities to make those, you know, fugitive worlds possible. I have two questions. I have so many questions, but no, I love this. So many questions. Okay. I'm going to give you my first question, but then I'm going to give you my second question and I want to okay. go back to the, okay. But I want the second question answered first. Okay. 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 First question. <laughs> Terrible interviewer. So sorry. The first question is what are you listening to right now? <laughs> That's why we're going to go to that. Answer so that so second. I, okay. All right. I okay, know I you know. I know okay. you know. Okay. I just got goosebumps. Okay. Okay. Uh, so okay. Okay. Know. Okay. So okay. Already okay. Know. Okay. 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 But here's my first, second question. Okay. Do you envision a world where we get to stop running? Mm. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to, this is an answer to your question. Your second, first question. This is an answer. I promise I'm going to get there. I just don't know how to walk in a straight line ever. So the scariest and most exciting thing to me about Conjuring is that you have to believe what you can't believe. You have to believe. I never talk about this stuff. I don't talk about, anyway, but you know, you hang out with some witches, you start talking about fucking nine cups of water on the table and shit. So you have to believe things that this world, this literal tangible world, this real desk, these, this real room, this real world tells us are not possible, right? Because being in a practice of conjuring, it's just reminding me that this world is a fabricated thing too. Someone made this thing up. Someone took time and energy and not one, I mean, it's a hundred niggas over hundreds of years. I know that. But so, there was time and energy and intention that made this thing an eventuality 
that we are taught is like a fixed reality that cannot move, right? And conjuring reminds me that anything that you give intention and attention, you can create. Mm-hmm. And my participation in it is consent and belief. It's consent and faith in that promise. So I have to believe against whatever the hell I am tangibly experiencing that if I sit with pictures of people who I've never met and names of people older than them who I've never met, they run over there. They're right there who I've never met with nine glasses of water. What? And I talk. There are people listening to me and with with the ability to respond energetically. That's crazy. I sound crazy saying that out loud. I I don't talk about it in these interviews. We're like, oh my God, yeah, Creole, yeah, Jumbo, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Let's talk about this book is Sestina, right? But that is the sustenance. My ability to write those poems comes from sitting at the the table. I make make myself a meal. I bake my old folk a little bit of food and I put it on a table in front of some pictures. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I've seen seen the impact on my life and the lives of the people in direct and indirect connections to me. Because of that practice. And I just yeah. have to go. It, it just seems like the right answer. It makes more sense to me than I'm going to put a child in a cage because their parents were poor. And someone decided that that practice was worthwhile. I'm going to put people experiencing famine. People experiencing harm connected to wars that were started because of some oil in the ground. I'm going to take those people who come to me asking for help because of an issue I contributed to, I started. I'm going to put mm-hmm. those people in the cage and I'm mm-hmm. going to slowly starve them. I'm going to steal their kids. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it so that they are not able to live. Someone mm-hmm. decided that ritual, and it is a ritual. That's right. So who the hell are they to tell me my little nine cups of water ain't got no right? Mm-hmm. So... So yes, so yes, I do believe there is a version of a world that we are building that that exists where we are not running. In fact, I believe it so much that sometimes I feel I can I feel connection to maybe not even me, maybe one of my little knuckleheaded great grands or something who's just chilling. I feel I, I get little touches of it, and on my worst day, I'm a silly crazy black girl who's sitting at a table with nine cups of water. On my worst mm-hmm. day, I'm ridiculous and mm-hmm. I ain't gonna mount to shit and the world ends and the fires all die out. Ain't gonna be no versions of Gumbo Yaya left and no versions of me left and we were all been for naught. Right? On my worst day. But those are all in my worst days. And, that's, and those are all in my worst days. They feel so shitty because of what the material world is doing to my folks in real time. So I just keep pouring into this wild future. I try to ignore those worst days or let them pass. And then I do continue to try and see the thing I cannot see. And I can't see it because I've been conditioned in a world that don't want me to ever 
think that's possible. But yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do think that there is a world that we are creating where we are not on the run. Do I think I'm going to be there when we stop running? I don't know if that's important. Somebody, somebody worked real, real hard to make sure that, like, I could own a home legally. You know what I mean? <laughs> Someone worked really, really, really hard and fought their whole, the whole life to make sure that I could love the person who I wanted to love and we could walk outside holding hands and not get killed. Someone who worked really hard to make that happen. And I know all the people who worked to make that possible are not here. But they believed it. They believed it could happen. They yeah. really did. Are we at the pinnacle? Are we free as free? No. But that's my def- that's my turn. Thank you. Thank and the answer to the first question is right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even have the desire <laughs> to listen to anything else. Speaking of conjuring, we can't. That's another three hours. But yes, that's the answer to the question. And you knew it. And that's why you asked. And I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So this question is a work of speculative fiction, okay? So you are an ancestor in the future. People use your poems to do public ritual. This is a question for both of you. What poems are they? Can you read them mm-hmm. to us? What music is playing? What is the ritual like? What do they burn? What do the people do? This is also a question for your like thespian teen self, which I, my thespian teen self loves this question too, right? Theater of the oppressed, like Augusta Boal, how do we bring it to the street? What is the praise poem that they're chanting when they remember us on the day they stop running? How does your poem become public, visionary poetics? I gotta go look, I gotta go look. Y'all really ask me the questions as to my favorite questions I've ever been asked. Big Zoe. <laughs> so you got to take this course. Well, I think as far as performance, it has to be in Praise the Witch. It's like my favorite poem. It can easily be enacted. <laughs> I would love... I would love to see people reading it and just like making huge pentagrams and just like beautiful things. Yeah. And then I have another one like about like love called Always Remember, which is really old. And it's just one of those that I was like, oh, okay. It's like about love and being sort of the villain and the victor, victim in relationships. Because I think a lot of the pieces that I wrote were like, oh, you did me wrong. But this one was one that's more like, oh, yeah, I did some stuff too. So, yeah. I don't know if I've got any, like, what I would consider protest poems by way of, like, Sonia Sanchez and such. Like, I don't know if I have any protest poems in Gumboyaya specifically. But I do think that there is a poem that I would love to see alive at a protest. And that one is transhistorical for the X and my girls. And I just think that there's just so much there that is so, there's acknowledgement of ancestors, there's acknowledgement of land, there's like confrontation of liberal whiteness and how it tries to like adhere itself to black radical movement. I think transhistorical for the X and my girls is such a badass poem, like a, I'm about to get your ass poem. 
that that gives me, I just see somebody like at the protest on the mic and I see call to response too. And I love call to response. So like that, that is exciting for me. I love this because one of the things that one of my spiritual friends and like mentor, leader, friend, someone who is in a practice that has informed a lot of my practice. They always say this thing, their name is Che. They always say this thing about how we're ancestors in training, all of us. And so the work that we do now is to distill ancestral energetic matter that our future generations have access to. And so like we need to make good on it our ancestral sort of like potential by practicing as best we can in real time, right? Recognizing that we're flawed and like, you know, we're going to fuck up. But to reminding myself that I'm an ancestor in training lets me know that like I'm learning for myself. I'm also wayfinding, right? A bit of like a little bit of cartography in, in the work. So I think about wayward experiments. Wayward experiments is according to the table of contents on page 90. Thank you. I think about the the fiery lit up poem and protest space poem and, and, and how I want to be always carried in that space. And also thinking about your question, Zoe, and like, I, I do truly hope there is a world that has no need for protest anymore. And in that world, I think Wayward Experiments is just like this tender affirmation of what just like this world is is the eventuality of like what a whole bunch of colonialists colonizing colonial colons did. This world, the world inside of Weird Experiments is the eventuality for, you know, what we're doing, what we're fighting for, what we believe in and what we desire. I'm always gonna want a little a little sublime, a little pleasure, a little sexy a little satiety, you know what I mean? And I think Wayward Experiments holds all of that. Thinking about the end of days as like this welcomed place and not like, I don't know, zombie apocalypse, you know? Yeah, that's that, those, those are my two. Those are my two. Would you read one? Yeah, I'll read. I'll read Wayward Experiments. Transhistorical is long as hell. Also, Wayward Experiments is exciting me right now. So I'll read that one. Wayward experiments. There is somewhere a heaven just for black girls. And wherever it lives, the graves are empty there, soft with dew and satisfied by bodies of laughter. There, oceans return to their shores with whole clusters of us, or we ship our mother's love letters and the salt we gather at the feet of magnolia trees, empty the blessed sun into our thighs and drink. We choose this heaven, one that doesn't quiet our other selves. We say ami, 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 and mean ashe, ashe, ashe. We pray to a God that wants no sacrifice, only asks that we sound out our names. Only asks us to stay a while. And if we ever leave, keep the door open for a few more girls. 
face the end of days and all the world has left is us. Black girls running our hands over the wheat, making batteries from honey and mud. Say you've moved on and your legacies will be written by them, hands right there. Say we will shrivel you or shine you. Say that fear is warranted now. Lock the doors when you come down our block, but you can't, you dead. Say we stir our soup with your sun-lit bones. Say your precious lawns we overrun with lavender. Say honeysuckle. Say we burn your homes to make our frolic fields a little wider. Say we masturbate in your churches. Say we bastardize your holy. Say we gut God and gully our joy in his carcass and new glory. We ain't gotta explain how apples sound between two molars in June or what it means to be proven innocent. Say new heaven is full of innocence, full of guilt-free girls, free of juries or taxes or tyrants. Say it's the end of days and all the world has left is us standing neath a green sun with a clean pair of Air Force Ones. Say it's the end of days and we wake to find the trees uproot and the oceans sweet. Say we start new heaven with stage and a wild song, Janelle Monet the sound of car carpenter bees, a thousand pulsating oyster knives. We will do the new world a favor and tell the truth. Maybe you were once good, but you left without making amends. Maybe once you believed in our freedom, but then decided liberation was the myth. We peer down from our new glorious, our paradise, to the place you landed. We send the cores of our apples as gifts, blemish your mouth, with our old sugar, our old sugar, old sugar, old sugar, old sugar. I mean, you certainly see how that could become a glorious ritual. Like. <laughs> Absolutely. Not at a protest, but in a really, really sexy church. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, we're, missing, we're missing sexy church. I know, right? Old sugar. Oh, sugar. Yeah. I had a lot of that poem highlighted to talk about. So I was so excited you chose it. I love do the new world a favor and tell the truth. Mm. We talk about that a lot in our circle, the astonishing spell that is just telling the fucking truth, you know, tell the truth about how wrong this world feels. There's a million thoughts underneath all the lines in that poem. But I think one of them I was thinking of was just how. I won't say the new world, but the new versions of the world that we experience always seem to backslide. Like we're in this moment where like everyone's like, oh, look, fascism's in style again. And I think a part of that is the way that like the truth just doesn't get told about where we've been. Right. Teachers are getting like not fined, but, you know, threatened for talking about the civil rights movement. And it's just like, just tell the truth. Right. Like. It is documented truth. Just just tell it. And and maybe maybe there's a different possibility for us, but you know, we'll get it right in that in that new world, maybe. Hopefully. Zoe, would you read one? Sure. I felt like I wasn't gonna read in Praise of the Witch because I've done it before, but I'm gonna do it again. Do it. Feels right to me too. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Earth. We are the elements. Stay close to the ground, omnipresent, 
six feet under. Our mother's blood courses through our veins, out our wombs, down our legs, feeding soil hungry. We are dirty with your sadness, different from anyone you know, omnipotent. We lick wounds and swallow sorrows, name ourselves goddess, are not afraid of the dark. Call on God, angels, and ancestors when shit gets tight. We are round, full-figured, full of ourselves. Water. We bathe in basil and sea salt. We're shackled but jump ship anyway. Sharks fed on our flesh. We are ocean now. You eat us unknowingly, drink us in, believing you can suck us dry and quiet our storms, but we are Oya. Settling accounts, we are Ma'at shifting. You can't box us in, pin us down, or tell our story. Fire. We eat men whole when given the chance. Burn sage, incense, candles, tools of the trade. Dance under moons full. We are loud alive. Stretch things out to fit our shape. You itch to see us put in our place. We are witch, wise woman, and crone burned at the stake. Air. But we are immortal. Reincarnated in the poems of our daughters, we are phoenix. Eyes in the back of our head, we are Sankofa bird. Live betwixt worlds. Float through walls that you build around us. Blowing cigar smoke in your face, we are juke joint. Speak out both sides of our mouths. Seeing your future in eggshells, it's not looking good for you. Familiars at our side, we tag Miami, Haiti, and New Orleans with chalk circles. Drink with leg by at the crossroads. Walk on water masquerading as poet, artist, and mama. We eat too many carbs, fall in love with men who are too afraid to love us back and turn our crooked noses up at your traditions. Jazz, poetry, and Chardet are our religions. We are black cat crossing your path, that poem you wish you were smart enough to write, the rhyme you're too afraid to spit, fucking up the mood we are the ejaculation that comes too quickly, gas on a crowded elevator, the uninvited party guest flirting with your boyfriend and eating all your food, an inconvenient truth we are those shoes you can't afford to buy, the thing you hate but can't let go go, those pants that are too tight around your waist now, that song that keeps playing in your head, that chick you know you're not good enough to bang, the one your mama warned you about, we are trouble, urban sprawl haunting your daydreams, we are muse, inspiring you to get your game up, teaching by example, we are root worker, obia lady, and conjure woman, the scary broad living at the end of the road alone, glamoring you through forked tongue, we make miracles, and yes, motherfucker, we do ride on brooms. You should be afraid of women like us. Chastity belted, we fuck anyway. Do what we want to do. Walk butt naked in the daytime and come to you at night, carrying blessings and justice in our left hand, machetes and curses in our right. Praise the witch. Yes. Thank you. That poem becomes like a ritual in our circle every time we get to hear it again. So... Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for bringing it back. Thank you. Ariel, could I ask you to read one more? There's one more. I mean, I we were joking before you came on the call that we would just ask you to read the whole book. <laughs> yeah. That would be the interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we've kept you quite a long time. If you have one you want to read, but the one that as Zoe and I were talking about before you came on is in the event I become an unrecognizable beast which I think is a really strong companion to the witch poem and to the idea of us all sort of tearing off the skin of this, the lies of this place and telling the truth. Yeah. Speaking of your organizing questions, Zoe. Yeah. Poem was all over the book so many times. And it always was the last poem. I don't know what I was thinking. It was always supposed to be the last poem so yeah of course i'll read this one. It's one of my favorite. great thank you 
in the event I become some unrecognizable beast. Reader, it is so simple. I am a tender bird parading as this vulture. I love things unto their very bone and yet have always held grief a fragile vein or deprived myself its honey. I misplace what simple sanities I meant to keep precious. My composure a bloodlet, the teeth from my mouth also left to accordion the homes we flee like fugitives, evictions among the weathered estate of our arms, and all I manage to carry into each line is a mason jar of old bones, a cicada, an aged bruise. The thing is, grief is relative. I wake to the limp memory of missing kindred each day, and what do you know about endurance? By noon, I'm dancing to the hook of my brother's last song, a wild flocking. I raise my hands and cut the tumor from between his hips. The moon rises. There, we rest our bodies into the agoon. We sliver beneath it. Can you name them? This conjuring morbid, yes, and also necessary. What else can a forger do, reader? You've stolen my meat, the marrow intended. I shape myself a body worthy of your fear. I give myself hands and build myself a mirror. I give myself a jaw and then splinter it. I prepare myself into a feast. I bring ritual in the creole of angels, my mother's tongue. I bring with me salt and what I've done with tobacco. Am I not an altar? Have we not emerged on the other side full? You are welcome and I am well. I am only a flutter thing. From my beak, I pull three nylon sutures. I've eaten from my own soft and I've stayed alive. Ooh. You are welcome and I am well. Mm. <laughs> Eddie, just Eddie. Beautiful. <laughs> so, Beautiful. so good. <laughs> it's so good it's so beautiful yeah that's like a mantra line it maybe yeah. wasn't intended as one but if no it was oh what it was yeah yeah i wrote that poem sobbing i think <laughs> so it was it was calling in it was calling in the wellness for sure you feel that i think yeah zoe and i were both sort of visibly tearing up feeling that that wave Thank you so much for yeah. your work, all the different branches of your work, all Thank the different you. rooting branches of your work. And thanks for engaging with these strange questions with so much openness. Oh, yes, of course. You're wonderful. You all are wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. We're so stoked to get to meet you. It's really cool. Sometimes we ask at the end if you have a ritual or a practice. Something that's helping you now that our listeners can take and be inspired by you, take into their lives, something maybe that helps them be a part of the work of liberation that you are doing on so many places, or maybe something that just helps you get through the anxiety of wedding planning. So true to my nature, I have a sacred past the long ritual that should only be practiced by Black folks who are Black. 
you know, that's I'm, appropriate and fair. Yeah. There's this, there's this song and this, it's kind of, um, it's having another resurgence because of Cheryl Lee Ralph's acceptance speech at the Emmys, but there's a song by Diane Reeves called Endangered Species, and it is a warrior song. I've used it in both protest <laughs> and poetry performance. There's a, there might be a video of me singing it on the internet, floating around somewhere, even though I am not a singer and I did not tell them to put that on YouTube. There is, um, and it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. But I, I sing that song. I play that song in the morning. I put my feet on some dirt and I imagine every maternal or sim or uh, even ancestors that wanted to access femininity who didn't have the opportunity to. I imagine them all behind me and just like touching shoulders and, and holding onto one another's shoulders. And I just allow myself to just root in the moment with, you know, through that song of being an endangered species, being a, an attacked person, being someone who experiences harm at the hands of the state, at the hands of men, and being, being endangered, but not alone and not lonely. And I just, I just root in that. And so I invite anybody who needs to be reminded that they are they are not alone to to take part in that practice if you're black. And I think everyone can sit with this book that has been just like blowing my mind lately called Belly of the Beast Anti-Fatness is Anti-Blackness by Deshaun Harrison who is a brilliant writer and was I just think that there's there's work that just kind of reorients you to the world and I know that you know reading has been hard for me in the pandemic and so I just literally take it you know half a chapter whenever I feel the urge to write and, and, and read rather and it's been giving me so much perspective about just the world and how it sees my body and how we got to this what I've been calling this eventuality of of the world and it's just giving it's just been giving me a lot of context and I think I've been sharing it with a lot of particularly non-black friends of mine and inviting them to kind of like consider, you know, like that's sort of like, if this, then this. So if this is the way we've been taught to see the bodies of Black people, then what does that mean about how I've been taught to see myself? How, is, how am I in relation to those, to Black folks and their bodies? And it's been really cool to just kind of see what sparks up after that. So not to say I gave ritual and homework, but maybe I did a little. <laughs> that's on brand for me. We love homework. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Spinning all that out. And thanks for assigning homework to our listeners. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I like it. No, we love homework. We love homework. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Zoe, so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day, y'all. Thanks. You too. <laughs> thanks, Bye. Bye. I can play with me. I am excited with you. <laughs> the Missing Witches podcast is created by Risa Dickens and Amy Torak with insight and support from the coven at patreon.com slash missing witches. Amy and Risa are the co-authors of Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic, which is available now wherever you get your books or audiobooks.
and of New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment, coming fall 2023.